Greetings, everyone, and welcome again to the Cool Hand Grace podcast. Another week and another biblical passage awaits us to explore. Our goal is to gain insight and application from God's Word that can encourage us in our day-to-day lives. I'm Pastor Kurt Witzig, and on behalf of the College Ministry at Duluth Bible Church, welcome. This week we continue on in the book of Luke, finding ourselves now in chapter 19. We're going to see an interesting encounter that Jesus has while passing through the city of Jericho. We will see how no one is beyond Jesus to save, and how Jesus has little regard for the social norms and standards of the day as he prioritizes people and relationship over pomp and their rejection. Last week, uh, we saw Jesus extend mercy to blind man Bartimaeus. This week, we will see Jesus' mercy extended to another person who was an outsider and had fallen outside of societal acceptance. Another rejected soul, one who was looked down upon, evaluated as unworthy, as having a life that doesn't matter. Boy, it becomes strikingly easy to categorize people and and just write them off and just group them and dismiss them. People that may not look like you, people that don't eat like you, people who don't vote like you, people who don't worship like you, people who have different hobbies and interests than you, people who are, well, different. Now, Way back in 1977, that was a while ago, that was before we had smartphones and cable TV and even the internet, but we still had popular music. And that year in 1977, a song came out that reached number two on the Billboard charts. That song was called Short People by Randy Newman. And it was a catchy tune, but it kind of had a problem. It was overly prejudiced against short people. The lyrics went on to say things like, they got little hands and little eyes, and they walk around telling great big lies, and they got little noses and tiny little teeth, and they wear platform shoes on their nasty little feet. Well, I don't want no short people around here. Short people want to don't need to be around here. So hey, He doesn't like short people, and he has his reasons, perfectly valid reasons to him. Now, the song was done in humor as it reflected uh, entirely irrational opinions about short people, but these wrong views collectively uh, led to not wanting any short people around here, is what he said. Today, we can easily replace that short people with any number of other distinctions, race and gender and political persuasion or religious persuasion or body shape or ethnic backgrounds, economic status. Man, they're different, and we're better than them, and we look down on them. But in the bridge of the song, the message changed. Uh, Randy Newman saying, short people are just the same as you and I, a fool such as I, as he acknowledged that he was wrong. All men are brothers. Until the day they die, it's a wonderful world. So 
he could subscribe to that and he knew that, but it was easy to fall into that prejudiced kind of harsh flavor of what was really a light song because it was comical, but really he's showing his dislikes and categorization of people. Well, again, when we do this, we have perfectly valid reasons or so we think, but does that dislike cause you to be short-sighted? Pardon the pun. Uh, Do you miss seeing things that are pretty important about people because you're focusing on a more emotional level? Do we really see things clearly when we are so volatile with our thoughts and opinions and our resentments and lusts or whatever? We're not really in a state of rationality. There's a lot of good things out there, even new things, new ways of doing things, seeing things. You know, every day is a good day for seeing something different, gaining some new perspective, realizing we might be wrong in some way. Every day this is possible. And the issue is for you and I, if we're stuck in ruts, to hopefully refuse to consider that things that are different might be worth looking into instead of being resentful or worse yet, hate those who say something that doesn't fit in with your reality. Now, uh, though those things can be true of us in the secular world, it's in the area of our relationship with God that we really want to zoom in on. May our story here today spark our spiritual interests, and may we examine if we have a relationship with God or our our preconceived ideas that they might be blocking out truth, that we'd allow the Lord to, to come inside and penetrate that. Are we shut down with rigid perceptions? Are we prone to resentment? Are we not seeing what's really there? Hopefully, our passage this week will prompt us to think anew about the Lord and His truths, His ways. And, and though His ways are not our ways, our ways can certainly adjust to become His ways. Now, Jesus has been on the move in our story. He's been making his way to Jerusalem now for some time. And in the last few podcasts, we've seen some, uh, been observing some events and conversations that have occurred along this journey. And our passage of study this week is, like we said, in Luke chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. And our events take place as Jesus is passing through Jericho, you know, the city where the walls came a-tumbling down centuries earlier. And verse 1 we read, He entered into Jericho and was passing through, and there was a man called, uh, there was a man there called by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector, and he was rich. And Zacchaeus was trying to see who Jesus was, and was unable because of the crowd, for he was small in stature. And so he ran on ahead, climbed up into a sycamore tree in order to see him, for Jesus was about to pass through that way principal character in the story is a man named Zacchaeus, and we learn five things about him in these first four verses. First, we learn that he was a chief tax collector. Tax collectors were those who collected taxes for the Romans uh, from the Jews, and then would give it over to the Romans, but they were allowed to keep, uh, and they could take more than, uh, and their greed could get in the way. So tax collectors were really wealthy, and they were turncoats. They were really disliked by the Jews. They were seen as uh, disloyal, even treasonous to the whole Jewish uh, religion and people and culture and so forth. But he's not just a tax collector. He's the chief tax collector, which means he has a region or a jurisdiction, and then he has other tax collectors working under him. So his opportunities for financial gain are almost unlimited. But that's why we see, secondly, that he was rich. The Bible just says he was rich. Uh, This implies he was unpopular because, again, as a tax collector, he came across all those riches at the other Jews' expense. And uh, so he's living the life, he's living large, at least economically. 
Um, so he's rich. And he sought, thirdly, to see who Jesus was, which is a positive thing here. He wanted to see who Jesus was, the text says. That's a positive ambition, and that's a good thing mentioned about him. So he's a chief tax collector, he's rich, and he has this positive ambition. Now, we have heard some things about He would have heard probably some things about Jesus uh, throughout you know, the several years of his ministry and the many things that he had done. And So Zacchaeus is curious. He's interested. Now, the text doesn't say he wanted to see, see Jesus or, that he want, or, or, or see what Jesus might do or he wanted to hear a story from him. No, it says he wanted to see who he was. Do you think an outcast like Zacchaeus, who was hated by his peers and his fellow citizens in Jericho. Um, he's hated and regarded as a filthy sinner and greedy, etc. Do you think he might be interested in someone named Jesus? Because they say he's different. They say that this Jesus speaks like no other. Some have said he's a friend of sinners. Some have even said he could be the Messiah. So this ambition from Zacchaeus, this is a good one. We assume he has some spiritual interest here, a desire to see who Jesus was. And so it takes some questioning, some willingness to think. I mean, do you ever wonder what happens when you die? Do you ever ask yourself where you will spend eternity? Isn't that worth looking into? Do you ever wonder if you might not see the things, see things the way God does? Or maybe the religion you've invested in or your religious activities, maybe they're not quite... Uh, they might be a little off, because why don't you have assurance? Why aren't we 100% sure we're going if we've been faithful to some religious cause or system or rituals? So it's worth looking into that. It's good to be worth asking a few questions, like Zacchaeus. So he's a chief tax collector. He's rich. He has this positive ambition. And we also see that he's short. He's a wee little man, was he, as a children's song goes. The crowd it was large and probably lining up the street like a parade or something, think of like that. And he's short, so he's not able to, to get a spot in the front. And, of course, nobody likes him, so they're not going to make room for him or help him. So he has determination is the fifth thing we see. His shortness creates now a determination. He is resourceful and will find a way to fulfill his ambition. And what he does is he runs ahead, and running isn't supposed to be culturally dignified, but hey, everyone hates him and he's an outcast, so hey, who cares? And he climbs a tree, also not culturally appropriate for a grown man to do. And uh, this is a perfect way to go because he climbs a sycamore tree, the text says. And sycamores are the most leafy. They have lots of leaves on them. It's the easiest place to be when you don't want to be noticed. <laughs> He's got a great vantage point now. He's right up over the road. He can observe Jesus. And uh, he could think to himself, could it be there's hope for someone like me? Could it be that I can be known and loved and accepted by this Jesus? Is there some potential uh, opportunity here for me? Who is this Jesus? wonder who he was. He's a Jew. We know that Zacchaeus is a Jew, rather, out of favor with the covenant. He's been excommunicated. He's not in good standing with the community, which means he, he's not able to take a meal or visit with other Jews in their Jewish homes. Uh, he's barred from that. He can't ever go to the synagogue on the Sabbath and hear the scriptures being read and taught. He can't go to Jerusalem during the feasts and partake in things. He's, he's, he's not in good standing with any of that. The Pharisees would run him out. So here he is, uh, hidden, out of sight, not noticeable, in a sycamore tree, on a branch, 
Uh, and what's amazing is he's going to be found. Luke chapter 19, verse 5, with the setting now, Jesus is in Jericho. And when he came to the place, meaning under the tree, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for today I must stay at your house. And he hurried and came down and received him gladly. So Jesus is passing through and he stops right from the, where the one is who really would rather not be noticed, who's kind of hiding but looking down and curious. And he looks right up into Zach's eyes and he calls him by name. Zacchaeus. He knows his name. Zacchaeus was a seeker. He was wanting to see who Jesus was. What he discovered is that the one he was seeking already knew him by name. So Jesus does three things when he gets to where Zacchaeus was. We see that he looked up and he saw Zacchaeus and he spoke to him personally. Jesus has come, we know in the text just a few verses later, to seek and to save that which is lost. And here he is. Jesus stops and looks up. And he sees Zacchaeus. And here in the big crowd, uh, Zacchaeus was likely very lonely, not popular at all. All these people, he's, he's got a lot of money and riches, but not a lot of friends. Ignored, scorned at, not spoken to, rejected. And there's people everywhere for this event. And he's totally disconnected from all these other people, basically. He's up there. He's lonely in that sense. And Jesus stops and... <laughs> He goes after people that everyone else has given up on. That's what we see. Jesus does this, by the way, publicly in front of everyone. I mean, Zacchaeus isn't going to, it's not popular to be connected with him. Jesus, couldn't you have just sent a disciple privately to say, hey, whoosh, Zacchaeus, come here. Jesus would like to talk to you, etc., and do it kind of off to the, without everyone seeing it? And he doesn't say, Zacchaeus, you need to clean up your act and promise to start doing right, and then come down and I'll eat with you. Now, the crowd could have liked that. That would at least mean Zacchaeus is doing something because he's such a, you know, uh, the one they just disdain. But, you know, I'm sure many in that crowd, or some in that crowd anyway, were genuinely disappointed now in Jesus. Maybe even walked away. How could Jesus do this? How could he stop and call out the loser of losers, Zacchaeus, someone who's clearly wicked and filthy and wrong. In verse 5, Jesus commands Zacchaeus to make haste, hurry, and come down from the tree with a sense of urgency. And the reason for this is he said, today, in front of everyone, I must stay at your house. You're going to be a host to me in my entourage. See, there's a human or a physical reason here. I need to stay at your house so now you can show us hospitality. And there is a divine and spiritual reason because he says, I must, meaning it's necessary. I've come to seek and to save that which is lost. I must connect here, Jesus is saying. You know, this meeting has been in the books for quite a while, this uh, meeting between Zacchaeus and Jesus. There's something significant, obviously, that's in the work, something that's going on in the unseen arena. And what Jesus is saying is, I want to have supper. I want to have dinner with you, Zacchaeus. That equals in that culture. I want to enter into friendship with you, table fellowship. When is the last time do you think Zacchaeus may have heard anything like that? Whoa. So Zacchaeus immediately responds to Jesus. 
He quickly comes down the tree, and the text says he receives him joyfully or gladly. He welcomes Jesus, and the word means he welcomes him as a guest. And suddenly Zacchaeus is an insider with Jesus, not the outcast. Man, he must be going through some feelings or emotions that he hadn't felt in years, being welcomed and appreciated or whatever, like, like Jesus is reaching out to him. Well, as all this is happening then, verse 7, we shift to from Zacchaeus and Jesus, we see now the crowd. It says, when they saw it, the crowd, they all began to grumble, saying, he's gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And that's the scene with the crowd, presumably while Zacchaeus is welcoming Jesus into his house. They don't get it, do they? They don't see at all what's going on. They are spiritually blinded to anything significant here, and they just see externally that Jesus is identifying with a sinner. And their reaction is triggered by what they saw. It says, when they saw it, this horizontal perspective. And the word, that sentence starts with the word but. So we have Zacchaeus joyfully receiving Jesus in verse 6, and verse 7 says, but. Contrast to that is the crowd upset and grumbling. He has gone to be a guest with a man who's a sinner. They see Zacchaeus, they see a loser. He doesn't have the right credentials. He doesn't have the right class of society. He's not a good Jew. He's not a faithful Jew or devout. He's actually a turncoat working with the Romans. And here is Jesus cavorting with this undeserving, no good weasel Zacchaeus. I can't believe it. Short people have no reason to live, as Randy Newman wrote. (laughs) in his song. They're thinking the same thing. And they think they're so right. It just makes so much sense. Their reaction was expressed by unified, indignant complaining, the crowd. All of them. Because what's going on now with Zacchaeus and in that house and Jesus, it violates all their preconceived notions. The world according to them. But it clearly is not the world according to God. They're not the same. And they all complained unison, like-mindedness, similar perspective, kind of group think. Jesus, what is he thinking they are saying? How can he be a man of God and do this? They obviously have learned little from his public ministry. Ever stop to consider that you are saying that here's a man who walks on water and has healed the blind and has turned water into wine and made done many miracles? Have you ever thought that 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 maybe you're not seeing him correctly as you're ready to write him off and say he's bad? Maybe maybe you're missing something here. Which means if you don't understand him, maybe it's best to just kind of sit and listen and consider things anew. Maybe ask some questions. What am I missing? Nope, they weren't doing that. Jesus is wrong, period. We're locked in. We're offended. Tax collectors have no reason to live as the song of Randy Newman echoes. They have greedy little hands and feet swift to rob, and on and on they could sing. The crowd rarely thinks. They just react. So Luke chapter 19, we see the crowd on the outside. Uh, In verse 8, though, we see Zacchaeus. We're now back in his house. He stopped and he said to the Lord, Behold, Lord, Half of my possessions I will give to the poor, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I will give back four times as much. 
So we're in the home. Obviously, when you have a, a feast and you have welcome hospitality and things, you have several courses of food and so forth. And everyone would sit around kind of actually in a, a horizontal posture, laying even around this table, and there'd be a lot of conversation. And this was a good meal. I mean, Zacchaeus is wealthy. I'm sure he's got the best of the best. And the dinners in that day were these elaborate occasions. So there's lots of time for Jesus to teach and to bring in spiritual things. So suddenly, kind of at the end of this conversation, we presume Zacchaeus, unprompted, spontaneous, says, Hey, I will give half of my goods to the poor. You see, in Judaism, it was considered generous to give away 20% of your possessions. So Zacchaeus is willing to do much more. And he states, I will restore fourfold any wealth I wrongly gained. And again, the Old Testament law required 20% restitution for extortion. Zacchaeus will do much more than that. So this all reflects a real change in Zacchaeus. I mean, a total change. Now, we don't read of his faith, but we see the results of it here. As he's listened to Jesus, he's welcomed by Jesus, he's accepted by Jesus, he in turn responds to Jesus and his life is totally different. And he has a totally new perspective. He knows who Jesus is. That's what he wanted to know. Who was, who Jesus was? Well, now he knows. He's the Messiah, the Savior. And this is a good setting, an encouraging story as his desire to see and to find out. We see how it was fulfilled. And so after Zacchaeus, you know, just willingly stands and says, I'll do these things. Verse 9, Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house because he, Zacchaeus too, is a son of Abraham. And then Jesus says, for the son of man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's the key of the story here, isn't it? The son of man has come to seek and to find us to save that which was lost. So today, salvation has come to this house, right now, point in time. And Zacchaeus, he sees who Jesus is. He sees he's the Messiah. He's obviously put his faith in him. And and now Jesus acknowledges Zacchaeus as a son of Abraham, a Jew, in good standing with the covenant. And his occupation and his lifestyle did not disqualify him. You see, you can't be disqualified before the one who loves you unconditionally and accepts you unconditionally. So Jesus says, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That fulfills his objective, to come to his own, to be the Messiah and the King, and to seek and save the wandering sheep of the covenant people of Israel. In this case, this is similar to Luke 15 and the parables there uh, of the something was lost and something's found. And, and you see that uh, Jesus is rejoicing and Zacchaeus is rejoicing in this being found. And Jesus says, that the way you're found is responding to who he is. That's what loving people, saving people, that's what Jesus is about. And he responds and he connected with Zacchaeus, had him come down before he was converted. They go into the house and then there is this, we presume the teaching and more and more light is given. And Zacchaeus is now clearly a changed man. But Jesus welcomed him even before that changed moment because God loves us. God loves the sinner. God so loved the world he gave his only begotten son. There's nobody who's outside that perspective or parameter. Well, we have some practical observations to ponder as we think of this story now. We can learn from the crowd. 
Note their inconsistency. In Luke chapter 18, verse 43, the verse right before this new chapter, the last verse about Bartimaeus, the blind man, whom he made the miracle made, uh, could see. Bartimaeus, it says, immediately regained his sight in Luke 18, 43. And he began following him, Jesus, glorifying God. And when all the people saw it, they gave praise to God. What did they see? A miracle. But now, in Zacchaeus' story, the crowd, when they all saw it, they all complained. When they see grace being extended, when they see Jesus stepping into uh, without the miracle of sight being gained, etc., but just taking this lowly tax collector and embracing him and, and, and receiving him, and then the tax collector, uh, they just see that and go, ugh, they complained. Can you see how their indignation was short-sighted? They're missing it. They don't see the, what's going on here. Again, maybe maybe this Jesus with all his credentials and miracles and everything he's done, maybe we need to stop and consider this, you would think they might ask. But the gospel is for the outcast, is what we're seeing. The gospel is for you. The gospel is not to be missed because no one is beyond Jesus to save. Romans 3.23 gives us the reality we have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. The crowd has totally misread this moment because they too are sinners just like Zacchaeus, maybe in a different way, in a different stripe, and maybe not as big or whatever, but they're not perfect. They haven't met all the conditions of God and his holiness and his righteous standards. Instead, they want to say, I'm not that bad, and point to someone who they think is worse. This person is worse than me. This person has done worse than me. And I can point the finger and try to stand on some higher ground that I think. And now I'm offended when Jesus is responding to this person who's supposed to be worse than me. You see, when we have proper spiritual sight, it always leads us to be humbled. Is there a Zacchaeus in your life, somebody that has been given up on or you've given up on? They're judged, they're condemned, they're incapable. Maybe you think that of all of, of them, unworthy. Maybe it's an ex, a distant cousin, an in-law. Maybe it's a member at your church or an outcast at school, someone on your job site, and you just want to write them off. And Jesus reminds us we're to love one another, as I have loved you. A love that will possibly lead to the bloody, anguished gift of yourself. A love that forgives 70 times 7, that keeps no score of wrongdoing. As you have been loved, so we're to love others. As you have been given the gift of life and have been forgiven through Christ, so then we can extend that horizontally to others. Well, we can learn from the crowd then their inconsistency and their hypocrisy. We can learn from Zacchaeus several things. Jesus is looking for people who are curious and open, are willing to ask a question or two. Do what it takes to learn of him, a healthy desire to ask and consider and for the unsaved, for those who don't know for sure they have eternal life, I would so encourage you to do this, to ask, to look into him, to listen. How does your religion really square up with the Bible if you don't know for sure beyond a shadow of a doubt you have eternal life? Why don't you look and see, what is this Jesus really saying? And maybe discover something there. He's going to be willing to reveal himself, and it's by faith. So you believe, you realize that you're a sinner, as we just mentioned, and you realize that the wages of sin is death, but you know that God is looking for sinners 
Zacchaeus's people that he will look for, find, and save from the penalty of sin, from this eternal death. John chapter 1, verse 12, we read how as many as received him, Jesus, to them he gave the right to become children of God, even to those who believe in his name. You receive him by believing him, that he loved you and died on the cross. God has so demonstrated his love that Jesus willingly died in your place. And he took your sin and he rose again. He's alive, victorious, and he has dealt with your sin. And he's now offering life by faith. You can become a child of God. All of your sins have been forgiven. You have full credentials now through Christ. And you're born again when you put your faith in him. And you, whosoever believes will not perish but have eternal life. A new creation in him, cleansed and forgiven, and a child that is loved and accepted and wanted and has assurance, full assurance. You see, re- receiving Jesus brings unselfish fruits as well that, bring, that show testimony or bear fruit of the new relationship. Zacchaeus, he had a new life, new identity, new purpose. This is called conversion. And this change in Zacchaeus was awesome. And he then now has a whole different perspective for the people around him and how he's even getting his wealth. And this is what Titus 2 well tells us about the Christian life experience for those who are saved. Titus 2.14 says that God, Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession, zealous for good deeds. Yes, we see there's a great place for good works after we're saved. That's why Ephesians 2, 8, and 10 says, By grace you've been saved through faith. The only way is through faith or trust in Christ and what he's done, not of ourselves, the text says. In fact, salvation is the gift of God. It is not a result of works so that anyone may boast. No one will boast in what they have done to have eternal life. It's all a boast in Christ and what he's done and his integrity and his merit and his goodness and his death and his burial and his resurrection. And we put our full confidence in all that he is. So we know we're saved by grace, undeserved kindness. And it's by faith and it's a gift. Oh, that's amazing. And then verse 10 in Ephesians 2 says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus, new birth for good works which God beforehand prepared we should walk in them. So you see, <clears throat> the works comes <clears throat> excuse me, after salvation. We have faith in Christ, we become born again, and then we're created for good works. It's the old cart before the horse image. You don't put the cart before the horse. The cart is good works, and it goes behind the horse, which is salvation. Imagine being Zacchaeus' neighbor a few months later, and you see this change, and you think, man, what happened to Zacchaeus? Well, we can also compare one last thing to learn about here. And by the way, I trust trust that you've put your faith in Christ alone, not in your works, so that you can have assurance and you can know for sure that you have eternal life. That's why we read these things, 1 John 5, have I written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. See, the Lord wants us to know and to have assurance. It's that simple. Believe. Have you believed? And that's why we can learn something about Zacchaeus compared to the rich young ruler who was in the story a week, two weeks ago. He came to Jesus, remember, and he wanted to know what thing he's lacking. What, what and, and Jesus, you know, he said he kept the law. He's been, you know, very confident. Notice the difference between these two rich men because they both had wealth. But first we see about their interest in Jesus. They both made an effort to come pursue and to find Jesus. 
about who Jesus is, the young ruler, when Jesus presented, are you calling me good? There's none good but God. He didn't want to see that. But Zacchaeus did. He came down from the tree, followed Jesus. About their wealth, we saw that Zacchaeus was gladly willing to give up over half his wealth. He was just, oh, this is awesome, this Jesus. While the rich young ruler clung to his, and he left sad as he took his wealth and walked away from the Lord. About their sins, Zacchaeus admits, yeah, he may have cheated some people. I'm willing to restore fourfold. The rich young ruler said, no, he's kept all the law. He didn't see a need. About their destiny, Zacchaeus got saved. He was the lost. He was found, and he has eternal life. The rich young ruler, sad. And Jesus had to say, it's harder for a rich man to enter in because they cling for their confidence to their wealth. Wow, what a difference. It all comes down to spiritual reception of who Jesus is. May we learn from this story and just learn about the day, as I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 6, 2, where Paul writes, Behold, now is the acceptable time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. What are you waiting for? You can know with total certainty right now that you're cleansed and on your way to heaven by just putting all your confidence in Christ and his merit and none in yourself. And he accepts you. He takes Zacchaeus. He knows him by name. He's pursuing. He Come down from the tree. Come down by faith. I assume that you want to know for sure. God wants you to know that you have eternal life. We just read that in 1 John 5, 13. And Jesus died and rose to provide it. The gift is waiting to be received by faith. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this story of Zacchaeus. We thank you there is a simplicity of the gift of eternal life. It's free because Christ paid for it all. And that he loves us and sought us and provides this for us. It's all based on his work, his righteousness, his death on our behalf. And then he offers us his life as he's resurrected. So may we just place our faith and may everyone listening here know for sure that they have the gift of life and eternal life and they can know for sure because you said they can know for sure because that's how good Christ is. That's how secure it can be in him. So we thank you for all of this. Thank you that our eternal life can be guaranteed in the merits of Christ. We do nothing but we put our confidence, our faith in him. Zacchaeus saw this and it changed him, Lord. May that be true of us as we listen and think of him. May that impact, may that encouragement rush across us as well as we respond to you and your grace and your goodness and your word. And so we thank you in Jesus' name. Well, that concludes our study for this week. And before we leave, may I remind you that where the Spirit of God is, there is always hope.